0: Hello, loyal listeners. Dave and I are excited to announce that Sci-Fi Fidelity is doing its very first prize giveaway this holiday season to help promote the podcast. And hopefully there will be others in the future.
1: Yeah, that's right, Mike. Three lucky listeners can win their very own copy of The Art and Making of the Expanse, Titan Books' official companion to the Sci-Fi series, airing its fourth season on Amazon Prime Video, starting on December 13th.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful coffee table book filled with compelling concept art and gorgeous full-color photography in which the cast, crew, and creators reveal the ideas, processes, inspirations, and obstacles behind the making of this massively popular series. The book will be available on November 26th on Amazon and elsewhere, so you can be one of the first to get your copy.
1: And there'll be no obstacles here. Entering is simple. Just follow Sci-Fi Fidelity on Twitter or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Sci-Fi Fidelity. Then respond to the giveaway thread, which is pinned to the top in both instances. And tell us who your favorite character is from The Expanse
0: and why. And you can also win a bonus entry by writing a review for Sci-Fi Fidelity on Apple Podcasts. Just tell us what name your review is under when you respond to the Facebook or Twitter thread. Social media entries only need to be on one platform. No need to do both.
1: So the giveaway ends on December 1st and winners will be selected at random. They must respond to prize shipping address requests within 48 hours before new winners are chosen. Sorry, international listeners, and we know we have quite a few, but this giveaway is open to U.S.
0: residents only. So follow us and comment, and remember to subscribe to Sci-Fi Fidelity wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Now for this week's installment. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 78, Aaron Eli Colite Interview. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. It's Mike and Dave with you here with another interview edition of the podcast. And Dave, it's been a while. We had a little trouble scheduling an interview, but I'm happy with the one we ended up with, with Daybreak.
1: Yeah, and it's a show that while on the one hand we could say it's not for everybody, I really do feel like everybody can get something out of it. It's just get past the fact that the words post-apocalyptic are attached to it
0: post-apocalyptic comedy yes (laughs) and teen comedy too so yeah it's a little bit specialized in terms of the intended audience but yeah it's definitely got some universal stuff in it including some great references to 80s properties and you know matthew broderick and ferris bueller's day off and all that kind of stuff and we actually talked to the showrunner aaron eli colite about this show and about all those different references and, and his geek cred runs super deep. So if you're not familiar with Aaron, he is an American comic book writer, television writer, and producer best known for his work on the popular NBC series heroes, where he got his start, but more recently on the CBS series, star Trek discovery. He was also a consulting producer on Netflix's hostages and continues to bring his love of comic books and the genre world to the screen. In fact, his upcoming projects include adapting Amulet for 20th Century Fox on the big screen. And this is what I'm looking forward to. He co-developed and will executive produce the new version of Lock and Key for Netflix. Keep your eye out for that one. Might end up being a show topic on the podcast. But he also co-wrote the first episode of Lock and Key with series creator Joe Hill on whose graphic novel that show is based. But Aaron is here to talk to us about Daybreak, like we said which aired on Netflix. It's a post-apocalyptic teen dramedy that came out on October 24th for which he serves as showrunner and executive producer. And we had a lot of fun talking to him because he was just really on the same wavelength as us on many of the questions that we asked him. So here he is talking to us about Daybreak. All right. We're here with Aaron, Eli, Colite and I'm very excited about this interview because Daybreak, definitely one of my favorite recent shows on Netflix, a post-apocalyptic teen comedy that is just delightful. Welcome to the podcast, Aaron.
2: Thank you guys for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Okay.
1: Well, let me start with the the first thing that strikes me when I watch it, and given that Ferris Bueller's Day Off is one of the most iconic teenage films, still resonates 30 years later. Was it always a given that you'd try to get Matthew Broderick to play Principal Burr? Uh,
2: It was written for him. We're like, this would be the most amazing casting if we can get Burr to be Matthew Broderick. You know, not only for like, oh, Matthew Broderick grew up to play Ed Rooney, but also, you know, uh, if we're allowed to talk about spoilers, what happens to Principal Burr.
0: Yes, we are.
2: <laughs> um, you know, if, you know, to, to be able to, to be, not only be the principal, but to be the cannibal who eats kids, it felt like the, the perfect coup of casting. We wrote it for him. We were told it was never going to happen, that he doesn't do television. And certainly he wouldn't do anything that was this referential to Ferris Bueller. But he read the scripts and he really liked the idea of playing, of playing this very twisted villain. And we had this amazing conversation and basically his only thought that he did not want to do was he kind of said, you know, you say the word part of my French. He said, you guys will use the word vag a lot in this in this. <laughs> and 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 he had a lot, He had a very big problem with with our use of uh, female anatomy. And so we said, well, we're going to use uh, as much derogatory terms about male anatomy and anatomy in general And he was very content with that answer. So as long as we were equal opportunity (laughs) offenders, he was cool with with doing it.
1: Yeah. And what always strikes me as amazing, and Mike and I have a a lot of background working with teenagers, is they know Ferris Bueller. They know the characters and that I I have to believe that this is going to be something they're going to really gravitate towards this character in Daybreak.
2: I certainly hope so. You know, I I have teenagers of my own. When the time was appropriate, I was like, "Okay, we are sitting down, we are watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I need to show you what was important to me growing up, and I hope it is as relevant to you because I think it was a, it was a really just iconic movie, and I think it remains iconic because it talks about the spirit of of youth, of being a bucking convention and breaking the system, and that's a timeless thing. So, I do think that that it is hopefully still relevant. And if it's something that people are unfamiliar with, my hope is also like it drives them back to go watch Ferris again. It still holds up remarkably well. And it's one—it's just an iconic film.
0: Well, speaking of Principal Burr, oddly enough, I don't think we should actually count him out in the end, even though – he had an arm coming through his stomach. There might not be much you can say about that, but what conclusions can we draw about things like crumbles back, Burr's stomach, and the reason why these two in particular avoided total zombification?
2: Well, we gave some hint as to why they've avoided it, and it has to do with their location during the initial bomb blast, which was the high school. And Burr, Burr's mentioning of they don't build high schools like that anymore. And based in, you know, a certain amount of fact, Glendale High, you know, was kind of built in the in the Cold War, built to withstand things, built with materials that are certainly deemed cancer causing today by some standards. Um, So so I think that the school has something to do with both why they survived and what they are turning into and what ghoulies in general are turning into the sandbox that I really was interested in playing in. That Brad Peyton, you know, my co-creator and the director of the first two episodes, and and the entire writing staff are interested in, is is you know starting a show with with something that seems like zombies, and then evolving them into a real mutant wasteland type of creature, um, something that we haven't exactly seen before. I'm a huge fan of uh, of John Carpenter's The Thing. I'm a huge fan of body horror, and I think that this was an opportunity of creating you know, a real mutant race that could be something that we haven't seen before. Okay.
1: Now, it, it's hard to miss all of the cultural references. I mean, you, you acknowledge some of the widely known post-apocalyptic films like Mad Max, everything from Kung Fu to Goodfellas, narrative styles differ by character. But what are some of your favorite nods? And were there any that you considered but just didn't make the final cut?
2: Um, I think we've shoved almost everything in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a couple of favorites like that are really super, super deep cuts. Uh, for example, uh, the Chirmazon Hummer that we see for the first time in episode 103 has chandeliers on the front grill, which was my homage to, to, to Escape from New York which is another certainly post-apocalyptic film that was really influential. The other one, which is also just like slightly obscure, but the float has a bee face on the front of it that we see in episode 10, the Homecoming float, which was, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of an homage to one of my favorite Stephen King films from the 80s, Maximum Overdrive. So, you know, there's a lot of, of, Strange references in there. I don't think any didn't make it. I know that there's a lot on tap for season two, and and hopefully more seasons to come. But I'm basically, you know, uh, my parents did a fine job of raising me. This is not to 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 disparage them, but I I watched HBO and the movie channel every single afternoon. Um, I watched lots of television growing up. I'm kind of a blender of pop culture that has been mixed up and poured out into this TV show. So I'm taking the opportunity to like put every single reference, every, every love letter to the things that made me, me and the things that I love into this show.
0: Well, now speaking of things that might be explored in future seasons, there were plenty of tribes we never got to meet, uh, like the disciples of Kardashian and even the 4-H club could have used A little bit more uh, in future seasons, perhaps. Can you share with us a few groups that were on the map that you've left in play for future exploration?
2: Um, So a lot of season two is about exploring that map in a lot more detail. I think that there's some that I'm excited to talk about and some that I want to, uh, to explore. Certainly the Abercrombies and Fitches, you can see on the map. They will play a large role in season two. And the Highland Park Donut Hoes are another <laughs> uh, uh, favorite tribe that that we will see more of. You know, season one was intentionally built so that like you're kind of looking at the world just through the keyhole of the door. So we get enough taste of okay, here are some other tribes, here's some of the world, but let's like look at Glendale through these characters and through this this aperture and what we want to do is open the aperture open the door just another crack in the coming seasons so we can really slowly build the world understand what's going on in Glendale and then peel even further back of what's going on in the rest of Los Angeles what's going on in the rest of America what's going on in the rest of the world
1: well yeah you know I'm not sure it's fair or accurate although I I I think it is that that Buffy Summers was really you know one of the first television heroes to go on the hero's journey uh, you know closely aligned to Joseph Campbell's monomyth and I mean Josh is on a quest and you know how closely it's going to align to Campbell remains to be seen but I mean why Josh I mean is he the perfect everyman for for this story because I guess what I love is that there are so many deeper themes embedded within the narrative.
2: Uh, well, hopefully, one hundred percent. You know, I think that the thing we do talk about, you know, Joseph Campbell and 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 the hero's journey, a lot when we were talking about Josh. But we also wanted to talk about him as like, how do you, <laughs> how do you really take him on this journey? I mean, he fucks up so much. There's, like, <laughs> yeah. there's no, there's little to no victory because I think the thing that we wanted to really play around with was, well, here's the expected hero's journey, and yes. We have our threshold guardian, we have our cave. Um, We're exploring all those, the various aspects of, of the traditional myth, but it's also like we want to play with the grounded reality of he's a 16 year old kid who got a sword that does not make him (laughs) any, (laughs) any kind of master with that weapon. He sucks at it. And that's why, you know, when we, when we were like, and it's an homage to certainly the, the, the source material, When he started to cut off his hand, we're like, it would be so funny if he just got the finger, (laughs) and he he really messed up the whole hand because it's like everybody in in, you know whether it's whether it's Walking Dead or the trope of losing a hand, we've seen it. Actually, being able to cut off your own hand, I imagine, is really impossible to do. (laughs) Yeah, would it hurt? But like you know, there's lots of of sinew and getting through bone like it's hard to do so incorporating that kind of ground of reality with josh gives us a really unique take on the on the hero's journey because man he's really still just starting <laughs> he has a long long way to go and we want we want him to get there we want to root for him to get there but but yeah it's not going to be a typical it's not he's not going to blow up the death star by the end of 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 season 1 let alone maybe even <laughs> season 3 however you know i think that to your point like the thing that's great about josh is like he's a great trojan horse for us to also introduce all these other characters who are also on their own hero's journeys and i think that that's one of the things that i love about this show is josh is is this cis white male and he's a very typical lead. And then when we get to hand off to Angelica or Wesley, we start to realize everybody's at the star of their own movie. They're all on their own hero's journeys, and they're very, and they're very different, and they are the stars of their own movies, but their movies look a lot different than Josh's. Josh's looks like a traditional hero's myth. Like, it looks like Buffy. It looks like Ferris meets Buffy because that's his frame of reference. And that's the movie he thinks he's starring in. Wesley is in a completely different movie. That doesn't mean that he's not on his own hero's journey. It's just he's on a very different one from Josh.
0: Yeah, I love that about it. But And I think it's really great that you mentioned that, because it really subverts the audience expectations about Josh as the hero and Sam as a damsel in distress, which we don't want to necessarily see these days. So acknowledging the fact that we truly don't know Sam Dean, just like Josh doesn't know her either. Mm-hmm. Should we really be worried about this change in leadership in Glendale by the end of the first
2: season? I think we should be worried. I think we should be a little worried about it. I, I, not to vil- It's not about vilifying Sam. It's about getting under the humanity of what a, a breakup is. And that's what we're witnessing. We're witnessing a traditional... high school breakup happening in front of us. It just carries the stakes of the end of the world with it. So when you break up in high school, it does feel like the world's ending. It feels like you choose sides. Who keeps whose friends? How do you see each other in the hallways without wanting to try to badmouth the other one? We're just going to do that on an apocalyptic level in season two. So yeah, we should absolutely be worried about it and the ramifications of what it means. But at the core of it is really a, a super relatable story that we've all experienced in our lives, unfortunately, and we all carry the scars of that going forward. And some of us have, have you know, learned to deal with it and, and others like we hold on to a lot of the, that high school pain going forward. Yeah.
1: And, you know, speaking of the high school pain, it's certainly driven home a lot that the apocalypse can give these young individuals a chance to remake themselves like in Wesley's case atone for past transgression but it's hard to not fall in love with Angelica uh, so where did that character come from i mean you know i, I love her origin story in season in, in episode 3
2: <laughs> thank you um you know i think that she's the combination of a lot of of the writers kids <laughs> <laughs> some of my kids, some of uh, Emily Fox's kids. And, and even like when we started building the world, when Brad and I started building this cast of characters, you know, we kind of talked about it as a Dungeons and Dragons quest of, well, who do you need on your, on your team? And if Josh is a bit of the heart, well, we need, we need the brains of the operation and who are going to use to be the brains that's how we started kind of coming up with Angelica because she wanted, we wanted to be the smartest one in the room, but we also wanted her to be, if, if we're going to have the smartest kid, we also wanted her to be the most chaotic of the group and the most (laughs) unstable and the youngest. And so that's kind of her origin. You know, when we started talking about her origin story and the selling of, of drug laced slime, (laughs) it was, it was certainly at a time period when, when my own kids were, making slime, selling slime. I was like, oh my God, this is like drugs. <laughs> like the way yeah. they, they like are selling it in school and like the, the school has policies about it and they couldn't get enough of it. And I was like, this is, this is the drug trade. Like this is insane. And so making the, the switch over to, oh, well that's how she kind of wanted to make friends was actually using <laughs> slime to sell drugs felt like the most Angelica thing that we could we could come up with.
0: Yeah, she's a great character. Now, the thing that uh, intrigues me, and, and perhaps it might not include some of these main characters, we hear there's an audio drama podcast out there that started on November 7th called The Only Podcast Left that takes place in the daybreak world. What can you tell us about that?
2: So this was an amazing opportunity. Netflix came to us and they said, we want to get into the world of narrative podcasts. And, you know, we think Daybreak can be a good candidate and we want it to be our first one. And honestly, my first reaction was, no, <laughs> we, we we I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't want it to be lame. And I only want to be able to do this if, if we if we do it right. And we started thinking about it in the writer's room. And we kind of understood that there was a way of doing the show that started to make sense. And basically it was, if we could take the AV club, who are experiencing the same show that we are, but basically the way that they were able to survive the apocalypse was by hacking into most all the cameras around Glendale, powering them up and using them to look at what's going on around Glendale so that they could survive. But then what happened was, they started watching basically the same show that we're watching and they became fans of everything that was happening in the mall and the drama at the high school. And so it kind of served as a fan cast for what's happening in the apocalypse. And it was a way of us doing a recap type of podcast, but then the drama of these characters starts taking over the podcast itself. So it was a way of kind of talking about all those fan casts that exist for Game of Thrones or Walking Dead, of how fans are able to appreciate shows, interact with shows, be critical of shows. And then we're able to turn the drama on its head where the host of the shows, as if the host of Pod Save America, as if the drama on that show started to overwhelm the show itself and, and it became its own show within a show we really liked the idea of doing it and Netflix signed off on it. So we were able to create this really kind of crazy podcast, uh, that really shouldn't exist, but, uh, but it was a really grand experiment.
0: I agree as a podcaster, I can't help, but admire that effort. So, well, well, we want to thank you very much, Aaron, for talking to us about daybreak. It's definitely one of the most unique shows out there and I'm hoping our audience has enjoyed it in its entirety. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you so much. It was great talking
0: to you. All right. And Dave, I'm so happy he was talking about this podcast that's coming out for Daybreak because I'm really enjoying this trend of networks getting on board with the audio drama podcast, additional content for their shows, because, you know, obviously that's near and dear to our hearts as podcasters.
1: Yeah. And he was so forthcoming and it it was one of those interviews that I think we both sensed, this could go on for a long time, but we don't want to impose on people that have agreed to take time out of their day to talk to us.
0: Yeah, we definitely could have talked to him for a long time about all the different details. And I really gained an even deeper appreciation for Daybreak after talking to him because you can he really sense his enthusiasm for the material and the way it was put together. And I certainly loved the uniqueness of the show. So those of you who have enjoyed Daybreak on Netflix, uh, hopefully you enjoyed that interview. But what do we got next coming up, Dave? We, we're going to return to HBO as we did with Watchmen. What do we, what, what's the topic?
1: Yeah, we're going to take a look at a fantasy series, His Dark Materials, which is something I had no idea even existed. I know you read the books and love them. And the first episode is really good.
0: Right. As, as we're recording this, only one episode has aired, but by the time we get to the podcast, two will have aired. So it'll be very similar to our Watchmen discussion in that respect. So it will be completely spoiler free. We won't even have a spoiler zone in that one, but yeah, his dark materials based on the novels by Philip Pullman, golden compass and the rest of it, there was a movie made that wasn't quite as good of an adaptation, but I have high hopes for this TV series. And like you said, the first episode got things off to a great start. So you want to join us for that one next week. But that's it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity.
1: In the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you access it. And be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or in an email to sci-fi
0: fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.